Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Once I reviewed each of his works in the chronological order of publication, but Ka is a wheel, it all goes round again. And here I am, once more on a new phase of the journey, one to examine each of the endings of the works of Stephen King, to determine whether or not King deserves his reputation for having an inability to successfully land his endings. The focus of the podcast is now to examine the climax, falling action, and resolution of the endings to each of his novels and break it down by character, themes, conflict, and plot to determine whether or not it meets the criteria of being an objectively good ending. I'm also going to weigh in on whether or not I happen to personally like the ending. And today, I am here to discuss the ending of From a Buick 8. And hey... It's me! I'm back, everyone. I'm back. Um, I just want to apologize to everyone, and I feel like I've definitely had to apologize a lot over the years um, for taking extended hiatuses. Hiati? I don't know what the plural is, but I, I, I took a long break between the last episode and the most recent one, uh, this one that I'm able to do now. I just snuck away for a few minutes to record some thoughts uh, from a Buick 8 to say hi. I would feel really bad if I wasn't able to get at least one episode out before the conclusion of 2021. Um, I really like this time of year and it's a time of year where I just I like to to just say thank you to everyone that has ever listened to this podcast. And if you are tuning in for the first time, welcome, welcome everyone. There are a ton of episodes uh, that I have recorded um, over the last six, seven years, however long this podcast has been on. And uh, I once recorded with much more frequency than I do now. So for new time listeners, you have a plethora of old episodes to listen to um, as you go along the journey of the, the analysis of, of the works of Stephen King. And there's quite a few uh, episodes in which I have been reviewing the endings of the works of Stephen King. So, and then for longtime listeners, hello, happy holidays. I hope that this time of year is treating you well. Um, and I hope that you're excited for a new year. Um, so I... Before I begin uh, my my end um, my my discussion of the ending of from a Buick Eight, I wanted to uh, talk about something. And for anyone that that follows me on Instagram, you might know what I'm I'm going to talk about. For new time listeners, I apologize. Um, and for long time listeners, I I just I feel as though. This is something that that I owe it to you to to discuss a little bit. So, one of the the staples throughout the years has been. Um, okay, this is already harder than I thought it was going to be. Uh, one of the the staples of the last, well, I mean, since the inception of the Stephen King cast, uh, has been the inclusion of my furry co-hosts. Um, and at the time of. Uh, the, the beginning of the podcast in July or August of 2014, I had two furry co-hosts, two adorable little pugs. Um, and you can hear them in the background of many uh, episodes, snoring and licking and snorting and grunting and click clacking and lapping up water and barking at each other and, 
you know, all of the, the background white noise that, that pugs make. Um, a couple years ago, we lost Sonny, who was an incredible dog. Um, and this past November, we had to say goodbye to, uh, to Maybe. Um, our, our wonderful, our wonderful, wonderful furry co-host and pug. Um, this was hard. This was very, very hard. Uh, I've lost a number of animals throughout my life. It's never easy. And I thought that I would be able to handle this one or that it would feel normal, um, as normal as losing a pet is. But this one, I just got to say, guys, this was the hardest animal loss that I've ever had. Um, this one was really, really potent. And um, I've put off uh, making this episode because I knew that I had to discuss this a little bit for a couple of reasons. One, like I said, to, uh, to convey this to all of you who have, to anyone that has written in um, with your kind words throughout the years about how much you have loved hearing them in the background. I felt that I owed it to you. Um, I owed it to, to maybe. Um, and I, it, it, it took me a while to be able to talk about this uh, without breaking down. Um, and even now, it's, it's very, it's not easy. Um, so, I, I mean, she was awesome. That's what it comes down to. She was just an awesome, awesome dog who um, we miss quite dearly. Um, you know, unlike Sunny, she was not a rescue. She, um, you know, what, what she was was a gift um, that, that I gave to my wife early on in our relationship. Um, my wife had never had a dog growing up, and she had always wanted a pug. Um, so I searched high and low to, to find a, a breeder around my area, and I went one day uh, to go pick up uh, the dog, and she was the last one left, and uh, she was so small, and I drove her home, and I walked through our kitchen holding her by, behind my back, and I walked into the living room, and I extended my arm from behind my back, and there in the palm of my hand was this, this little this little dog, this little gift, um, who, though she was a gift, she wound up giving me everything, everything that I currently have in my life is because of, of maybe, um, she was a, a gift of commitment to, um, my, the love of my life. We built our, our love and our family and our future around maybe this dog, um, the best years of our lives, um, you know, as, as young adults together, um, we, we shared together with maybe all of our friends, you know, maybe became, you know, the, the friend, the family dog, um, and, you know, just maybe was that, that dog at that time in our lives of, of young love when, you know, prior to having a child, um, those of you who, um, have a dog or had had a dog at that point in your lives, you know what I'm talking about, or, was a, a family friend or, um, you know, a, a, you know, part of the family, you know, you know what that is, um, you know, and, and, and maybe, uh, lived in three different houses with us and, uh, you know, what's, what's really hard here is 
we've had 13 years of routine and 13 years of just living with her as day in and day out ingrained with us in, in every aspect of our lives and it was hard to to experience life without her especially with a pug um, because when you remove a pug from the equation you don't realize how much noise they make um, the silence of the house was a potent reminder of, of our loss and um, it's just it was really 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 difficult um, and it was difficult to, to be able to explain that to our daughter um, who understood the loss and her absence in much greater awareness than, than she did when we lost Sunny. And that was hard. But, you know, when you are a pug owner, you receive pug gifts throughout the years. Um, every Christmas, every birthday, every time someone walks by something with a pug, they think of you and they wind up gifting it to you. And as a result, we have a, a, a great number of pug stuffed animals throughout the house and um one of the 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 pug sized stuffed animals um our daughter has has taken um a real shine to and and carries with her everywhere and has called her you know named her maybe and she sleeps with maybe and she brings maybe everywhere and it's been really sweet that she is keeping maybe alive and in our hearts and in the house and everywhere she goes uh, through the adoration of this animal. Um, she's been drawing a lot of pictures of the three of us with Maybe, um, and we talk about her quite frequently, and it's all good. It's all healthy. Um, it just has been uh, really hard, and there's been a lot of guilt on my end um, because what wound up happening was the, the night of Halloween, um, I picked her up for a family photo, um, and she wiggled out of my arms and she fell, um, hard. And, um, a couple days later, uh, it just wasn't, it wasn't good. She didn't, wasn't eating and I was at work and my wife had to take her to the vet and they told her that she needed to go to the emergency vet. And I mean, the, the emergency vet took one look at her and said she she has to be put down and even before uh, they were able to administer the 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 shot she she passed on her own so i there's just been like a lot of guilt on my part and i know that she was old anyway but the the thing that really sticks with me was the morning that she passed she normally just slept right through when i would go to work but i got up i was going to work and she got up and even though she was in pain she walked over to me and I thought that she just wanted food, so I gave her some food, and she didn't eat the food. So I was like, oh, maybe she's tired. Maybe she just needs to go to the bathroom. So I put her outside, and then I brought her in from outside, and then I just kind of left for work. And what I realize now was, you know, animals know their time. And despite the fact that she was in a lot of pain, I'm sure, um, she got up to say goodbye to me. And I was too focused on getting ready for work that I didn't bother to acknowledge her. And I just left, you know. So the moral of the story is please be in the present when you have the opportunity to do so and make the opportunity to do so because you never know when there will be a moment that requires you to truly be in the present. And I was not. And it sucks. But 
Anyway, I'm sorry to be such a bummer, especially at this time of year, but I just kind of wanted to convey all of that to you so you all know um, that a part of our podcast has gone on to the great podcast in the sky, and she's going to be missed greatly, and thank you to everyone that has written in um, throughout the years uh, to send kind words, and thank you for allowing me this opportunity to just kind of get all of that off of my chest. She was awesome, and uh, we miss her, and just thank you, everyone. Uh, Okay, so where have I been Um, since, what was it, August, I think, was the last time I recorded. Um, What wound up happening was, without really getting into it, but um, something happened that required me to uh, take over a lot of responsibility in my life, um, and everything is good, everything is exactly where everything should be, um, but I needed to focus 1,000% of my energy and time and attention um, on matters not relating to this podcast, and so that is where I've been. Thankfully, like I said, everything kind of has settled, and then now I am able to get back to this when I can, and so that is where I've been. In case anyone was wondering, um, everything has been fine. Um, my health is okay. Everyone, my family is okay. Everything is good. Everything is great. And then that is where I've been. Here I am now. Unfortunately, I don't really have much Stephen King to talk about. Um, I will talk a little bit about, uh, um, Billy Summers and I will get into From a Buick 8. I still haven't watched Lisey's story. I didn't watch the, um, the Adrian Brody, Jerusalem's Lot adaptation. I can't remember the name of it. Um, I would love to talk about Midnight Mass, even though it's not related to Stephen King. Kind of is. Kind of is because of Mike Flanagan. So the only thing I'll say about Midnight Mass is if you haven't watched it, please go watch it. For fans of Salem's Lot, you will get a lot out of it. Again, Mike Flanagan has proven to be the person who is able to, more than others, be able to create and embody that Stephen King sensibility on screen um, and that is very um, apparent with Midnight Mass though it is not a Stephen King adaptation um, it very much feels like a Mike Flanagan work but Mike Flanagan is someone that has been so heavily inspired by Stephen King for fans of Stephen King you will get a lot out of it um, it's a beautiful wonderful piece of work um, truly a masterpiece in all sense of, of, of the word from the, the writing to the direction to the, the acting, the performances, the monologues, the conversations, the, the, the themes um, at, at, at play. Um, it is just from top to bottom an, an incredible, incredible um, series. It was, the, 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 I, I was just so plugged into it. My wife and I just loved watching it and loved dissecting the conversations that were occurring. Um, just a wonderful, wonderful piece of of, of filmmaking. Um, and if you have not watched it, I'm sure that anyone listening to a Stephen King podcast probably has. But for those of you who haven't, please do yourself a favor. Give yourself a gift this holiday season by watching Midnight Mass. Um, Billy Summers. Listen, guys, I'm not going to do an in-depth review of Billy Summers. I'm just going to cut to the chase. I did not like it. Um you know, one of the Stephen Kingisms that I've talked about throughout the years is that, you know, clearly it's no surprise that Stephen King writes about 
writers quite frequently um, to the point of almost self-parody, okay? And this is the most self-parodying um, he has gotten, but I don't think he's in on the joke with this one. Um, so for those of you who haven't read Billy Summers, Billy Summers is a novel about a professional hitman who takes a job that um, goes south and there's fallout from it. And that could be an interesting novel. Um, unfortunately, Stephen King decides that his professional hitman is also going to become a writer. And I'll give him credit. I mean, obviously, when Stephen King writes about writing, he it's amazing how he is able to explore new aspects of the writing process and what it means, and, and that's apparent there. And the therapeutic qualities of writing um, is woven throughout, and the nature of storytelling is, is discussed. But at the same time, why does he need to constantly write about writing in stories that don't necessarily need to or support the writer um, as a character. And in this case, I, the big question is, does the professional hitman assassin need to be a writer? And I don't think the answer is yes. I think the answer is no. And so I could never get, I could never fully invest myself in the story when I thought it was a flawed um, storytelling decision. Um, I, I just, I, I just, I, I, from start to finish, I could not get into it. I, I It was a chore for me to get through Billy Summers um, from the, 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 the premise of, of the, the story with him pretending to be a writer, to becoming a writer. There is a rape subplot that I found very icky. I, the relationship between him and, and another character I thought was really well done. Um, but even even the Stephen King um, connections, there's a shining Easter egg that I didn't care for. Um, it's always nice to see, but I just didn't care for. I, I just, the Stephen King magic, for me, did, I, it did not work for me. Um, so I didn't really want to spend too much time talking about it. Um, which isn't to say that, like, I'm not saying that Latter-day Stephen King is, is not good. I'm just saying this part, I really liked later, um, but this particular book I thought was a swing and a miss um, and with someone as prolific as Stephen King that's okay you can swing and a miss um, but for those of you who did like Billy Summers please write in Stephen King cast at yahoo.com and let me know your thoughts on one uh, on why you liked it Chapel Wait that's the name of Chapel Wait um, if you have watched Chapel Wait please write in to let me know I think that it did get overshadowed by Midnight Mass this fall. Um, it is something that I do want to check out. Right now, my wife and I are watching Yellow Jackets, and we're really sucked into that. Um, but I would like to watch Chapel Wait um, to, to see it. Um, and I can you know let you know all my thoughts on that. I still haven't watched Lisey's Story. Um, so if you have any thoughts on Lisey's Story, Chapel Wait, Billy Summers, or any other Stephen King-related work, please write in StephenKingCast at Yahoo.com. Okay, guys, um, I'm going to get to the ending of From a Buick 8. Um, but first, I want to read the Wikipedia summary so we have a basis upon which I can build my analysis. 
The novel is a series of recollections by the members of Troop D, a Pennsylvania State Police barracks in western Pennsylvania, after Curtis Wil Wilcox, a well-liked member of Troop D, is killed by a drunk driver, his son Ned begins to visit the barracks. The cops, the dispatcher, and the custodian quickly take a liking to him. The troopers begin telling Ned about the Buick 8. The Buick 8, which resembles a vintage blue 1953 Buick Roadmaster, has been in storage in a shed near the barracks since 79 when it was left at a gas station by a mysterious driver who then disappeared. The car they discover is not a car at all. It appears to be a Buick Roadmaster, but the steering wheel is immobile. The dashboard instruments are all useless props. The engine has no moving parts. The ignition wires go nowhere. The car heals itself when damaged and repels all dirt or debris. Sandy Dearborn, now Sergeant Commander of Troop D, is the main narrator of the book and tells the story of Ned, discussing various things that have happened with the car and his father's fascination with it. The car will frequently give off what they dub light quakes, or large flashes of purple light over an extended period of time. These lights will occasionally give birth to strange plants and creatures that are not like anything in our world. Two people have disappeared in the vicinity of the car, Curtis Wilcox's former partner, any. Ennis Rafferty, as well as an escaped lowlife named Brian Lippy, is later suggested that perhaps the Buick was actually a portal between our world and another. After hearing the story of the Buick and how it has been kept secret by Troop D for so long, Ned becomes convinced that the car was somehow related to the death of his father in a seemingly random road accident. After all, the gas station attendant who first reported the Buick sitting in front of the gas station was the same man who, years later, would kill his own father. Sandy cautions him to keep from obsessing over the Buick 8. Um, there are Buicks everywhere, he later warns. But after leaving Ned at the Troop D facility to eat at a diner, he realizes that Ned never asked whether anyone considered destroying it. He deduces that Ned is determined to destroy the Buick 8 and that the Buick wants to use that impulse to take Ned to the, the other world. Sandy returns to the shed to find Ned sitting in it, Ned having poured gasoline under the car while holding a pistol and a match. Just as Sandy pulls Ned out, the Buick transforms into a portal, trying to draw both Ned and Sandy inside of it. The rest of the staff arrive on the feeling that something bad may happen, all of them helping recall the story of the Buick's origin at their station and manage to pull Ned and Sandy free, but not before Sandy glimpses into the world on the other side of the Buick. He sees Lippy's swastika necklace and cowboy boots, along with Ennis's Stenson hat and Ruger gun. One last story is told, revealing that destroying the Buick actually was discussed. However, they came to theorize that the Buick functions as a sort of regulator valve between the worlds and that destroying it would do more harm than good. They decide that it's safest to watch over the Buick in the hope that whatever supernatural force powers it will eventually dissipate and, dis and expire. Eddie J ends up killing himself and Ned becomes a state trooper. One day Ned shows Sandy the Buick. There is a crack in the windshield that is not healed. So let's talk about a criteria for a good ending. Does it provide an appropriate conclusion to its characters that is consistent with the characters' actions, conflicts, or themes of the book? Short, story, uh, short answer is yes. This is a character-based novel in which the character is exploring the themes of the death of his father and trying to make meaning, which I'll get to in a second, trying to make meaning of death itself and the randomness of life and all of that is poured into the Buick. And the Buick um, and the, the character's relationship to the Buick is the crux of the novel. So that... So the character of Ned, um, you know, trying to confront the Buick and therefore the randomness of life is totally consistent with the, 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 the novel. 
Next question, does it successfully wrap up the plot? Specifically, do the events build upon one another with consistency? Uh, yeah, technically. The point, the plot, um, by its very nature, is very um, contemplative. Um, it's not designed to be thrilling. Um, it's ponderous, it's introspective, and existential. Um, ultimately, it concludes with a big payoff to the Buick with some last-minute tension and heroism. Does it serve the theme, symbolism, and motifs? Um, as I have already stated, the car functions as a metaphor for the mysteries of this world and how some mysteries just can't be solved. Uh, so as a result, for a novel that explores that, it stands to reason that the ending itself won't be neat or wrapped up in a tidy bow. Sometimes in life, more often than not, we don't get catharsis. The car, much like death itself, is always there, and we just can't defeat it. There's no beating it. There's no winning it. There's no, uh, you know, forcing it into submission. We can only learn to live side by side with it. Um, what is the most famous scene in the novel, and does it appear in the conclusion of the story? This is not um, necessary, um, I think, to be... Um, to, to get a designation of a objectively good ending, but I think that certainly helps. I don't know if this novel has a, a most famous scene. I guess if it would, like the appearance of the low man, I, I guess would be it. And are there other factors that we need to consider? Um, it is the other, it's the other evil Stephen King uh, car book. Um, and it's certainly the less famous one. Um, it, it's hard to judge from a Buick 8 on its own terms without making comparisons to Christine, and I don't know if I've ever been as open-minded with this book as I should be. Um, I know it has fans. I'm just not one of them, and I thought that on the purposes of the, the podcast, reviewing and, and, and re-engaging from a Buick 8, um, uh, without the the after has, having some time passed would allow me to you know see it for what it is and maybe reappreciate it. but I didn't I didn't and even looking at it again um, for the ending I it's not just I, it's not one of my more favorably uh, uh, re reviewed um, or enjoyed Stephen King work and so do I like the ending? No, not really. Um, and is it a good ending? This is the, the big question. Yes, I don't like the ending, but I think it is a good ending for everything that we looked at from a character and a thematic state standpoint. It perfectly concludes what has come before. Ned learns to live with the car, i.e. he learns to live with his father's death. And with the ultimate reveal of the cracked windshield, though the car isn't healing, it represents that he is healing. So, I, yeah, I'll give it to him as endings go. Though I may not like the novel, though I may not like the ending, it's a good ending for what it is. Um, so which brings us to our tally. I happen to like 29 out of 33 endings. And also, 29 out of 33 endings that we have examined, I have declared are good. So that is from a Buick 8. Okay, everyone. It's been a short but sweet episode. Sorry that so much of it was taken up by dwelling in my own loss. Um, that is not for those of you who um, are new to the podcast. This is not the norm. 
what I want everyone to know. Um, and I will be back next week, um, or I will be back next time to uh, discuss uh, another ending um, in the works of Stephen King. Um, and if you have any thoughts, please write in to stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. And if you have any time on your hands, please, a review on iTunes would help me out greatly. And with that, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next time, where M-O-O-N spells Stephen Kingcast.